That's great. Wow, how do, you, how do you go after that? Well, let me just say my, um, my happy Mother's Day to all of you folks. It's good to see your faces. Um, so um, before I start today, though, I, I want to acknowledge that for, for some, um, Mother's Day is not the happiest day of the year. And for some, Mother's Day is a kind of a source of grief. And for whatever reason, whether that's estrangement from children or it's from wanting to be a mother and not being able to, uh, we're going to celebrate mothers today, but we also want to acknowledge that you're here and that you might be suffering. And so our wish for you would be that, that you would find comfort in this community, in this church, in this body. God's put us together so that we can comfort and encourage one another. And our prayer for you would be that, that you would find that comfort with us today. So now, having said that, um, I'd like to uh, introduce, start the message off with the four mothers in my life. Um, the four mothers in my life. Um, my mom, should be a picture coming up here. Yes, and I purposely did that to kind of embarrass her because I'm going to send her the link to the message. Um, <laughs> I was going to joke about her strong neck. I got my strong neck from her because that hair, you have to keep it up. But that was cool. For those of you who are young, that was cool back in the day. And yes, that is me on the down right. Um, but my mom, that's, that's her second time, right before we left for the mission field, the second time to go to Japan. Now, this is going halfway around the country without email. So I remember literally talking to my grandparents about once a year by phone because it was so expensive, right? And everything that, that they owned, they shipped into these barrels, put those barrels into a big crate, moved halfway around the country, and literally left everything they knew behind. And that's the kind of strong mom that I grew up with. And one of my greatest memories... One of my greatest memories of my mother and most um, impression, impressionable memories of my mother that I have is coming out of the bedroom, seeing her in her chair, like knees tucked up underneath, legs tucked up under her knees, and reading her Bible, just faithfully doing her devotions. And that's, that's the influence of one of the moms in my life. The next photo should come up. If the, the lady on the left with the straw hat and the red, that's my mother-in-law, Betty Jo Pollock. And that is the Pollock clan. So two great stories about her. When she came to Christ, she was dating my father-in-law who's since passed. He's the guy in the back with the glasses and the green shirt. That's my father-in-law. They were dating and they both were, were not Christians. And he was off at college being a college athlete and they were dating long distance. And she called him up and said, I came to Jesus and I found someone who meets all my needs, and I don't need you anymore. <laughs> right? And needless to say, at his first opportunity, he rushed back to Downingtown, I believe it was, where they were growing up. Rushed back and decided he was going to go down to talk to the pastor who had led her to Christ and put, you know, give him a piece of his mind. And guess what happened? He came to Christ. And if you don't mind putting that picture back up for me, they, they were serving the Lord and she couldn't have children. And she, she prayed 
she prayed, asked God for, for children because of, of, that would be the reward that she sought. And that is now the Pollock clan. And she is known as the stalwart um, follower of Jesus. And, and it's, it's been an honor to join that clan. They ought to be the outlaw in that clan. So that's another mother in my life. The next photo will be a, a relatively um, one that probably everybody knows. This is my wife, Joanna. Sorry to embarrass you, Joanna, but you knew it was coming. Love you, babe. So Joanna has followed me. So she lived in basically one place most of her life. Um, she's followed me across the, she's followed me across the, do I need to pick up the punt mic? I can yell. Can you hear me if I yell? So Joanna's followed me across, across the country. Sorry. Mic check, mic check. So, sorry about that. So I'll stay here in case I'm causing that by moving. All right, so um, she's followed me across the country. Uh, literally, we lived in California, Pennsylvania, Texas, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Michigan, um, Tennessee. Oh, forgot Tennessee. So we've kind of been all over. And uh, most people are, a lot of people know this, some people don't. Uh, at 32 years old, uh, after we had two beautiful children, uh, she had a brain tumor. And she, as she had actually had it her whole life. It had been growing since she was in the womb. Uh, but she toughed that out. She's a tough lady, and she currently teaches school in Coleman. And together, we're navigating this thing called the empty nest, and now grandparents, being grandparents. So the next, the next mother in my life is not my mom, that's for sure. She's way too young. This is my daughter-in-law and my son, Andrew. This is the daughter-in-law, Megan. Uh, she is now a mother for, what, a week and a half, two weeks? Two weeks. Um, Megan is already showing how great a mom she's going to be. And it's exciting. it's exciting to see her up here last week dedicating their child. Drew, too, but this is mom's Drew, sorry. Um, I'm so glad that they can be at a church like Midland Free to, to help raise their kids. Right? Midland Free is a great place to raise your children. Okay? But yeah, so that's another mother in my life. Looking forward to seeing how great a mother you continue to be, Megan. And then this is, this is the little guy. You've got to show off the grandson, right? So that's the little guy. Now, I do have one other uh, young lady in our family. The next slide is my daughter, Danielle, and her husband, Scott. This is the second half of their honeymoon. And if you know what that is, that's them heading off on the Appalachian Trail. So they were going to do, as part of their honeymoon, they did the little half a week on a, two, um, on a, what do you call those boats? Cruise ship. And they were going to hike the Appalachian Trail for the second half of their honeymoon. COVID cut it short, about a month in, but they were literally, that's the day they took off on the Appalachian Trail. And Danielle, if you're watching, this could have been an illustration of the five mothers in my life. So I need you to get to work. Just saying. So, so I'm going to get punched in a week when I see my daughter when I, for this one. So, but anyway, so just one more shot. You'd rather finish with this. Got to show off the grandson one more time. So anyway, so those are the four mothers in my life. So thank you, mothers. We want to honor you today. Okay? 
So what I'd like to do, though, for the text of our message, we're going to start off in Ephesians chapter 6. So if you'd flip in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 2, says this. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. So today, today is just one day that we take out to honor mothers. But we're to be honoring our mothers regularly, as well as our fathers. But here today, of course, it's about the moms. Now, what's really interesting is, remember, this is the fifth commandment, right? Honor your father and mother. And both the Hebrew word, keved, and the Greek word, timao, or teme, the noun form of that word, both have this notion of valuing something, right? So to, to value something is to hold it in high estimation, right? It also has a sense of monetary. And you'll see this play itself out through the rest of the scriptures. But there's two basic ways in, that which, in which those words, the English word honor that we get here is used when it's, talk, when it's used in this way. It's to esteem it highly or to hold it up and talk about how you esteem it highly. And it's to value it in a monetary way. Think of the word honorarium in the English language, right? Uh, the word honorarium isn't just about, hey, somebody spoke, you give them an honorarium. You just go say, hey, great job. You're actually giving them money because their time is worth that value. Okay, So that's, that's the sense in which we need to understand that word. And we're going to see it play out that way in terms of how the Bible tells us to honor our, our father and our mothers. So the command is there. That's pretty straightforward. So my goal today for the rest of our time here is to give you four biblical ways that we can honor our mothers. We're going to talk about four biblical ways that we can honor our mothers. The first one, I'm really not going to spend a lot of time on because Greg did such a great job last week talking about it. So I don't feel like I need to repeat last week's message. But the first one is obey them in childhood. Right? We need to obey our mothers in childhood. Children, obey your parents. Ephesians 6.1, just one verse above. Pretty straightforward. Obey your parents. Are there exceptions to that? Sure. If they tell you to do something that's forbidden by God or is illegal, something like that, sure. But it doesn't give us a lot of, you know, there's not a lot of exceptions to obey your parents. Children, obey your parents. Again, I'm not going to spend too much time on that because Greg did such a wonderful job talking about that last week. However, that is something that we must do. But notice, notice what I said. It's children, obey your parents. It isn't adult children, obey your parents. There's a different way that adults are to honor their, their, their parents. And that's the second thing that I want to talk to you about. In order for us to honor our parents as adults, we need to leave and cleave to form an independent family. We need to leave and cleave to form an independent family. How many of you heard that phrase before, leave and cleave? Okay, so it's a common, and that's going to take us all the way back to Genesis chapter 2. So jump back with me in your Bibles to the very, very beginning, to Genesis chapter 2, if you would. Genesis chapter 2. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, we see this statement. 
Then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the cattle and to the birds of the sky and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. The Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. And the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken, um, because she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. So let's put this passage into context, because we're going to sit on this one for a little bit. In Genesis chapter 1, God has taken, by the power of his word, he's taken six days to create the, the world and the, the universe. On the sixth day, he creates man, and he sets him in the garden. Now, chapter two, then, is kind of like a zoom in, and let's look at day six a little bit more closely. So he zooms in, and he takes a look, and he gives a detailed account in chapter two of what happened on day six. And as part of that, he plants a garden, and he places man in that garden and gives him a job to do. And at this point in day six, Adam's still alone. And Adam isn't smart enough yet to know that he's alone. But verse 18 says, what's it say? It says, God saw, God said, excuse me, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make for him a helper suitable or corresponding to him. So the next thing you would expect him to do is go ahead and then create Eve, right? It's not good for him to be alone. I'm going to make a helper that corresponds or is suitable for him. So he's going to go ahead and make, what does he do instead? He actually takes Adam and says, name the animals. It's like, why does he do that? It's because man, Adam here, does not even know he's alone yet. And so he needs to see that. And so he takes him through a set of circumstances to teach him a lesson. Sound familiar in our lives? Does God always just tell us what he wants us to learn or does he allow us to go through circumstances to learn those lessons that we need to learn? And this is one of those situations where God does that to Adam. So he does this. He says, all right, Adam, come on out. I'm going to recreate each of the paired animals of the field and and the birds of the air so that you can see that for every male, there's a female. There's a man and a woman, or a male and a female, that are paired together. Look at verse 19. So out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the cattle and to the birds of the sky and every beast of the field. But for Adam, aha, here's the lesson there was not found a helper suitable to him. So God brings Adam out and he creates in front of him 
a pair of lions, a lion and a lioness. Boom, Adam sees it. And he says, lion, lioness, next. Antelope, she antelope. I don't know what the female term for an antelope is. Got myself into trouble on that one, right? A bull, a cow, right? An eagle, a she-eagle. And after naming all of those and showing dominion over all of those, he sits there and goes, hmm, something's missing in my life. Something's missing in my life. And so then, and only then, in verse 21, does God cause this deep sleep to fall over Adam. So Adam needed to see the need. And it's, it's interesting because I've worked a lot with college-age students, both when I was teaching in college and now when I'm just coaching. For some reason, guys, a lot of guys just need to get lonely before they're ready to, to date anybody. They have to learn that they're alone. So really fast, I'm not saying this is what this passage is teaching, but it's just an observation I made over time that a lot of times the guys, and so the guys just, they, they're busy doing the fun thing and all of a sudden, Something switches and they go, you know, I'm lonely. And then they start. So I, as a volleyball coach, I work with a lot of female athletes. And especially when I was working at the Christian colleges, they'd go like, there's these great guys out there. And they seem to be so involved in everything but dating. And like, I really like him and I wish they would give, give him time. He needs to learn he's lonely. He needs to learn he's lonely. And that's what Adam had to do here. Adam had to learn that he was alone and that he needed a partner. He needed a partner. And he needed one that corresponded to him. Now, I'm not going to take a lot of time to talk about this, but this passage is the passage where God establishes marriage as an institution. A man and a woman come together. They leave their family. They cleave together and form a family. This is before government was established. This is before the church was established. Marriage is a cornerstone institution that God established. That's a God-ordained thing. And we need to remember that. So you're going like, what does this have to do with Mother's Day? Like, okay, so let's tie this back in. If we're going to honor our parents, if we're going to honor our parents... And of course, there are exceptions to this, and I get that. If we're going to honor our parents, we're going to move out of the phase of life where we become simply obedient children, and we become independent adults, and that's an honor to our parents. Did you catch that? Part of honoring your parents is not being a drag on them for your whole life. Part of honoring your parents is to leave and form your own family. And I can see some parents right now thinking, "Mm, there's that teenager that I want to let them know that. And of course, of course, there's exceptions to this. And this is not, we're not insensitive to that. There are times when we had to move back within our in-laws for a short period of time in transition. Those kinds of things are going to happen. So here's here's the principle, though. When we function 
and we fulfill our roles in a biblical way, we not only honor our parents and our mothers, but we honor God. Did you catch that? When we fulfill our biblical roles appropriately, that's honor to God and honor to our mothers and our fathers. Now, this has some really, really big implications, right? Because our marriage is under attack in our culture today, is it not? There is probably no other institution that is, that is under such forthright attack. I mean, it's just straight out, pedal to the metal. The nuclear family is under attack. And that's something as a church that we need to stand for. Now, as children, what does that mean? We need to transition from the obedient children to the respectful, honoring adult children. And that can be sometimes a little bit tough to navigate, and that's okay. But it's something that we need to learn to navigate. But children who become adult children... Find ways to continue to honor your parents. And we'll talk more about that in a moment. But the act of leaving and cleaving and forming a new family is God-honoring, and it's part of God's plan, and it's a good thing. Mothers and fathers, God established this plan and expects us to let them go. I used to think it was hard to be a parent of, of teenagers, but Initially, letting go of children, that can be tough for us, right? It can be tough for us as moms and dads to learn to let go of our children. And I, I will tell you, the other day I had to go, Drew, you know what? I'm sorry. I probably overstepped my bounds on that one. I gave you some advice you didn't ask for. Probably was not necessary. And he was gracious and he goes, ah, no problem, dad, no worries. So there's times when we need to learn to navigate what it means and and. What really has helped, though, is someone taught me this a long time ago. So the mentality that Joanna and I have had for a lot of years, thanks to good mentoring in our lives, was God has entrusted these children to us so that we can let them go. And if we had not had that, it would have probably been a lot tougher for us to manage. And mothers especially, it can be, right, it, it can be something that you almost become dependent on, having someone at home, having some dependent on you. And remember, God gave those children to you so that you could eventually go, right? But then you get the grandkids, and that's the best part, because I can sugar them up and hand them back. I won't really give them sugar, Megan, don't worry. But make sure you plan on letting them go. Because that's an important, important part of, it'll actually help you be a better parent as you go. And practice some, as they get to be teenage years, we got to kind of slowly give them a little more rain, a little more rope, a little more rain, see how they do, tighten it back in, give it out again. But we eventually got to get them go. So that was, the, that was the toughest parts for mom to hear, hopefully today. But the rest of it, it's going to be really good for you, mom. So stick with me. Okay. So we've talked about the fact that as children we obey, as adults we leave and cleave, but we have ongoing responsibility to honor our parents. 
We need to hold them in high esteem. We need to value them. And we need to extol that, those virtues. The next passage that I want to look at is Proverbs chapter 23. Proverbs chapter 23. And I'll ask you to turn there. Proverbs chapter 23, verses 22 through 25. In Proverbs chapter 23, verses 22, it says this. Listen to your father who begot you and do not despise the mother, your mother, excuse me, when she is old. Buy truth and do not sell it. Get wisdom and instruction and understanding. The father of the righteous will, be, will greatly rejoice and he who sires a wise son will be glad in him. Let your father and your mother be glad and let her rejoice who gave birth to you. Notice what it says in verse 22. Do not despise, excuse me, verse 25. Um, No, it is verse 22, sorry. And do not despise your mother when she is old. Listen to your father. Remember, Hebrew poetry is in parallels. So when it says, listen to your father, do not despise your mother, it's not just talking about the attitude of despising. It's basically saying, look, listen to your father, don't despise your mother. Listen and appreciate and value their advice. Did you catch that? As children, and I'm still a child because I've got a mother-in-law and a father and a mother who are still alive. And I need to value their advice and I need to seek their advice from time to time and that's going to let them know how much I value them because frankly they've lived a lot longer than I have and they've seen a lot more than I have and your parents have seen a lot more than you have so we need to honor and not despise them in their old age Older children, our greatest gift that we can receive from our parents is the godly advice that they can give us, the godly wisdom. Look what it says in verse 22. Listen to your father who begot you and do not despise your mother when she is old. Buy truth and do not sell it. Get wisdom and instruction and understanding. What's the assumption in verse 23? The assumption is you're not despising, you're listening to because they're telling you to get wise and to get knowledge and to become righteous. And at this point, it's probably fair to say that not all of us have had that experience of mothers who have been great examples to us. And again, this is where, if this is a grief to you, we understand and we would love to be able to encourage you as, as part of this Christian family. If, if you're a younger man or a younger woman who, is, who has not had the greatest relationship with a parent because, frankly, they haven't been a good parent to you, We'd encourage you to find someone in this community, in this church, that you can be mentored by, to be encouraged by, that you can almost take as like a surrogate parent. And we'd love to have someone in this church be that for you. That's part of what our mission is as a body, right? We're the body of Christ. But I would suggest that there's a great gift that we can give our parents the greatest gift that I would suggest that we can give our parents 
is for us to live a godly and a wise life. All right? Look what it says in verse 24. The father of the righteous will greatly rejoice. And he who sires a wise son will be glad in him. Let your father and your mother be glad and let her rejoice who gave birth to you. In this context, the way that you cause your parents to take joy is by you living a righteous life. The father of the righteous will greatly rejoice and he who sires a son will be glad in him. The greatest joy, one of the greatest joys that I experience is when I see my children living righteous lives. And mom, if you're listening, I hope, I hope that you can see in my life that I wanna, I wanna live a righteous life. And I wanna honor you, mom. And dad too, but today's mom's day, so... Do you want to do that? Do you want to honor your parents? Do you want to honor them? I do. I do. Now, earlier I had said that the term honor has financial implications, right? Um, so, I want to take us to 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8. Honoring sometimes means giving up some finances. And that's something that I think we should be happy to do. First Timothy chapter five, verse eight says this. But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Now, it might be easy for us in our modern American Western culture to think that this isn't really talking about children honoring parents. But that's because we don't really have the concept of household like they did in the, the Mediterranean world in the time of the Bible. The household is bigger. And remember, it's not days of 401k, right? It's days of agriculture and then, right, the economies were evolving a little bit more um, complex, but you didn't have a 401k, so who was your retirement program? Your family, right? And you just continue to work the family part. The household was bigger than just the mom, the dad, the child. It included even servants and sometimes even slaves, right? But would be the uh, more extended family. And as you got older, you would take care of your parents, Adult children, it's our responsibility. It's absolutely our responsibility to make sure our parents are cared for. And I'm sure there's lots of stories how people in this community, this congregation, this church, have reached out and are helping their parents. If your parents need it, it's, our, it's your family's obligation to take care of it. Can you get outside help? Sure. Does a 401k help? Sure. But ultimately, ultimately, it's our responsibility as adult children to make sure that our aging parents are cared for. Now, are there times, this is not 
other times where it's appropriate to put them into medical facilities? Absolutely. This is not to try to make people feel guilty if, if they have parents that are living in a, some sort of a medical facility. We get that. But what I'm talking about is an attitude that esteems your parents, esteems your mother, esteems your father. And it's our responsibility to take care of them. Um, recently, my father had a stroke. And so it became hard, not impossible, but for hard for them uh, to manage on their own. And so we got together as children. And um, my brother opened up part of his home. And they are living in Colorado. Moved from Florida to Colorado and are living uh, with my brothers in my brother's household. And I'm very, very grateful for that. But that was something that if, if we needed to, we would have figured out a way that we could have pulled that off. But thankfully, the situation was good and all the children, we agreed that that was probably best. And we asked them, we didn't tell them, we asked them if they would do that and they agreed. So I'm grateful for a brother who understands this concept. I'm grateful for a sister who understands this concept. I'm grateful for a family of children who understand this concept that it's our responsibility to care for our aging families. So how do we honor? How do we honor moms? Well, one day a year, we take a day. We play a funny video, and we, we say thank you. Um, but let's remember that honoring our parents, honoring our mothers in particular, is not a one-day, one-off event. It needs to be a lifestyle. Do we esteem our mothers highly? Do you esteem your mother highly? Do I esteem my mother highly? That's what God calls us to do. That's what God calls us to do. Honor your father and your mother. For this is the first commandment with promise. Let's pray. Father, what a wonderful day to be able to celebrate our mothers. Your scripture is full of teachings that help us navigate so many of the exigencies of life. Lord, we want to honor our mothers today. We want to rejoice in them. We just pray that they will have a great balance of the day. Help us as children and sometimes even parents to function in a way uh, that honors your design for the family. Help us to uphold that as a body. Help us to uphold that in our community. Help us to be a resource. Help us to be a resource to families. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Dave. You guys.